If you could stand, please, for the reading of God's Word. This morning we're reading from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 9, and then we're going to jump over to verses 16 through 18. And if you're using the Pew Bible, it's pages, well, it's page 956. It says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who was born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be shepherd of my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go. And make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. Now we jump over to verse 16. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. The word of the Lord. And thank you. You may be seated. Um, I've failed to do this the last couple of Sundays, and I need to let you know. Um, This series that I'm preaching this Advent season actually come, well, let me give you a little background. Back, I think, about in August sometime, I got this thing via email that says, um, Max Lucado is going to do a little Christmas seminar kind of thing online. And so I thought, well, I like Max Lucado's stuff. So I listened in and he was talking about a book he'd written and these sermons that he'd written. And you could buy this whole package and have this all ready for, for Christmas time and and I said, you know, I'm not going to do that. But he did offer uh, sermon outlines. You could download them for free. So I downloaded Max Lucado's sermon outlines from a series he did, uh, a book he wrote called Because of Bethlehem. So kind of, sort of, the basis, the, 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 the framework I built my messages on the last couple of weeks is from the sermon outlines that Max Lucado did, although... I've even messed with the sermon outlines. He might, he might not even recognize them, but I just thought I'd better give credit where credit is due. So, 
Um, by the way, you know, I didn't realize it uh, till we sang it this morning, because I'm not that familiar with Angels from the Realms of Glory. I mean, I've sung it before, but, you know, a lot of Christmas carols I know by heart. I don't know that one by heart. But the second or third verse, I don't remember which one, starts with, Sages, leave your contemplations. That's talking about the wise men. That whole verse talks about the wise men. I thought, well, God orchestrates things, doesn't he? Either that or we were just lucky today, yeah. <clears throat> Well, the main, the main Christmas characters in Matthew 2 are the Magi and King Herod. And they share the same chapter, but not the same heart. Many of the songs, paintings that we've seen depicting the Christmas story, the Christmas cards, all that depict Jesus' birth, portray these wonderful scenes of peace and Adoring visitors and joyful worship and gentle animals. Remember, Jesus, our brother, kind of good, was, born, was humbly born in a stable rood. And the gentle beasts around him stood. But there's another darker side to the Christmas story. I mean, all those things were present, I'm sure. I'm not sure the beasts talked, but they were there. But there's a darker side to the Christmas story as well. And it unfortunately involved deceit, paranoia, manipulation, and even murder. And this morning we're going to contrast the Magi with King Herod. Now, first of all, the Magi teach us that God will use all possible means to bring us to Jesus. And before we examine what God used in the lives of these who came to, made that journey to Bethlehem, um, I, I'm going to give you a little background about the Magi this morning. Um, the scripture doesn't tell us much about the Magi other than they, that they came from the east and they brought three gifts. That's really about all we know about them. Now we've kind of drawn some conclusions and and uh, we see that sometimes illustrated in the creches that you see and in the, you know, the Christmas cards and, and whatever that depict the Magi. And so we have this assumption um, in the manger scenes and other things that there were three of them, three Magi. But we really don't know that. What we know is that they gave three gifts. We actually don't know how many Magi made the trip from the east to Bethlehem. Now, we do know that they were probably not kings, as the song says. We three kings. Probably not kings. Um, and that they did not travel alone, but with an entourage, as men of their importance would have, especially considering the length of the journey that they undertook. So it was probably, let's call it a caravan, that came. So who were these guys? Who were the Magi? Well, the, Greek, the, the word Magi in Greek is the origin, is the origin of uh, the word that we get the word magician from. But this word also, and, and that did apply in their day. There were people, Magi, that were kind of magicians, 
We put them more in the class maybe of sorcerers or wizards or something like that. But that same word also applied to men of learning. Wise men devoted to the study of philosophy, astronomy, religion, and medicine. They were particularly interested in examining the works of nature and observing the movements of the stars and planets. So where we see the word wise men used in it was probably more accurate than maybe where we say kings used as applied to these visitors. In their own land, where they came from, they were valued as, as, by the rulers of their nations as counselors. Um, maybe somewhat like the president's cabinet or something. They would go to these magi for counsel, for advice, especially in times of war they were used as advisors. And some phenomena in the night sky has moved this group of individuals to a foreign land in search of a king. What did they see and how did they know what king? Well, first of all, that they identified him in the scripture that Dean read today. We heard that. They identified him not as, say, spoke to Herod as our king, but as the king of the Jews. So they didn't say, we're seeking our king. They said, we're seeking the king of the Jews, which is evidence to us that they came from somewhere else, that they were not, in all likelihood, Jews themselves. And there are a lot of theories about where these men, I'm assuming, came from. Some say that, well, like I said, if you read, you find something, some think they came from Arabia. Some think they might have even come from Egypt. The, the version I like best is that they came from Persia, ancient Babylon. Do you, and the reason I like that version is this. Do you know who else lived in ancient Babylon? Daniel did. Yes, the Jews lived there. They've been exiled there years before. In fact, in all likelihood, there was still a, probably a sizable population of Jews who had never returned to Israel still lived in Babylon. So, and, and was that uh, Will's voice I heard? Yay. So, uh, Daniel would have been classified as a magi, a wise man. And I'm certain that he had left his mark on that country, on that civilization, even years later. It's quite likely that these magi who came searching for Jesus knew of him, of Daniel and his reputation, especially from the fact that there was still a Jewish community uh, that populated that area even in their day. And so that, that word would have come down even to the Magi at this time of this great Magi who was a Jew who had lived centuries before. Perhaps even they were somewhat like the Roman centurion or the Ethiopian eunuch who were attracted to the Jewish religion. And even for the Jews 
still living in that part of the world, in Persia, in, in ancient Babylon, they anticipated the coming of the Messiah. Just as we anticipate His return, His second coming today. So anyone familiar with the Jews would know of their expectations of a Messiah's coming. Alright? So, a little background on the Magi. So what, what did God use then to bring them to Bethlehem in search of Jesus? Well, first of all, God used nature. The Magi came because a phenomena in the heavens got their attention. Remember, one of the things the Magi did was observe movements of the stars and planets. They were, they were interested in observing the night sky. So when the star arose, they took notice. How'd they know that this star indicated the birth of Jesus? Well, it seems that they might have had some knowledge of Jewish Scripture. You go way back in the Old Testament, in Numbers chapter 24, verse 17. It's a prophecy. And it says this, A star will rise out of Jacob, a scepter will rise out of Israel. A scepter will rise out of Israel. That possibly answers the question as to why the Magi would inquire of Herod about the whereabouts of the king of the Jews. You see, they didn't recognize him so much as Messiah, but as king. They didn't ask about the Messiah they asked about a king. Because, folks, it's kings who have scepters. So what about the star itself? Well, you know that a lot of people who look at the Bible, we've got to find a logical, scientific explanation for some of the things that we would just believe are miracles. God did it! But, you know, a lot of people can't accept that. So... Here's some ideas about what the star was. Some think it was Halley's Comet. Apparently in about 7 B.C. it showed up for around 63 days. Some think it was a conjunction of the planets Jupiter and Saturn that also happened in 7 B.C. Some have suggested that it was a comet that we had not known before. Not Halley's, but some other comet that showed up in the sky. And others, like me, believe <laughs> that it was just a supernatural appearance. God did this. Uh, we don't have to have a scientific, logical explanation. God just made, He had a special star that He, you know, whipped up. <laughs> I mean, if He spoke the stars in place and knew them all by name? Do you think it was a, a big deal for him to create a Christmas star to attract people to, to Bethlehem? So I think it was a phenomena created by God solely to mark the birth of His Son. The Christmas star. In fact, when the wise men came to Herod, they said, we have seen His star. I really think, because these men were observers of the heavens, if it had been two planets aligning, they would have known that. Oh, looks like Jupiter and Saturn are coming together. It's a little brighter than usual. 
But no, they just said His star. So I'm going to take it by faith that God put this in the sky in honor of the birth of His Son and to bring these men to His place of birth. And here's a question that was raised in, in some of the things that I was doing for background. That someone proposed this question. Was it seen only by the kings or did everyone see it? I'd never thought of that before. Maybe others saw it and kind of like me, and well, that's kind of interesting. You know, um, Dean Claus and I are bird fans. We like birds. I was talking the other day in the office. I said, you know what, Dean, it's kind of amazing to me. A lot of people walk by birds every day. They hear uh, birds' calls and they don't pay any attention at all. Every time I hear a bird call that I've not recognized, I'm looking for that thing. I wonder what that is. I don't recognize that call. I'm trying to, you know, it's not easy to find. Most of the time I don't find them. But that might have been kind of how the stone, oh, look at that. There's some, Mildred, come out here and look at this. That's kind of interesting, huh? Nobody really bothered to think about what it meant. God used the star, used nature to bring these men to Jesus. God used a wicked king. God will use whom he will use. The Magi came to Jerusalem, the capital city of the Jewish people, to inquire of the king. Where information about the, the, the birth might most logically be obtained. He's the king of the Jewish people. He should have the information that will tell us where to go. Right? Herod, not knowing the answer to the inquiry himself, calls together the chiefs, chief priests and scribes and questions them about where the Christ was to be born. So God used Herod, although he didn't know the answer to the Magi's question, he used Herod who knew where to find the answer to the Magi's question. And then Herod shared that information with the Magi. God used the wicked king. God used the scriptures. Herod is troubled with the news that has now reached his ears. Here we have these influential, educated men who are searching for a recognized ruler, a prophesied king. And Herod himself doesn't go to the source of the information. He seeks out people who, who will have a head knowledge of the events but people who, probably like Herod, really had no heart's desire to seek out and submit to that message. It was just kind of information. You kind of wonder what was going on. Had, had they just kind of given up on the idea that God would ever send a Messiah? Or maybe they didn't even believe this stuff anymore. Or maybe they just didn't care anymore. Or maybe they'd just gotten complacent. Because here we have these learned men, Jewish men, subscribes the teachers of the law who knew this stuff. But it was just kind of wrote. O thou Bethlehem, the land of Judah, not least among the princes of Judah, for out of these shall come a, a governor who will rule my people Israel. That's what it says. That's Bethlehem, by the way. Isn't that kind of how the Word of God settles in our lives sometimes? We've got to know it in our heads and we can quote it to people, but it isn't really making any difference in the way we live and in what we believe. Well, 
It says in the scripture, when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. And I just quoted it to you. That's from Micah, chapter 5. Think about it for a minute. For millennia, the Jewish people looked and longed for their Messiah. Shepherds came proclaiming his birth. Remember what it says? What did it say about the shepherds after they left that manger scene? What's it say about them? They rejoiced? They told everybody. Man, everybody they ran into, guess what just happened? Finally! After waiting all this year, it's just Japanese. He's out in Bethlehem. He's in a, a, a manger over there. Shepherds had come proclaiming his birth, but the religious leaders hadn't even bothered to investigate their claims. The, the promised Messiah, the one for whom and to whom all Israel looked was clearly in their midst. Angels had proclaimed it. Shepherds had reported it. The Bible had predicted it. The stars had heralded it. And astute scholars from foreign lands were now here looking for the Christ child. But the Jewish religious scholars couldn't be bothered to walk five miles to investigate the reports of the shepherds that had been around for this time by who know, maybe a year or two. Then, when asked by Herod the location of where the Christ was to be born, to be born, clearly, coldly, dispassionately, the religious, religious leaders report the facts. Well, the scripture said he's going to be born over there in Bethlehem. Just a stone's throw, basically. Never once showing an interest in exploring, confirming, or even denouncing this fa these facts themselves. So despite the fact that the Jewish scholars seemed neither to care, believe, or even show interest in what was now a prophecy fulfilled, the scripture was still used to guide those who sought Jesus to the place of his birth. Isn't it interesting the impact it made on one group? Basically no impact. And the impact it had in the lives of the Magi who were seeking Jesus. Well, Herod teaches us that not all will follow God's direction to Jesus. So who was Herod? Let's, let's look at a little background on this guy. Um, not the kind of person, well, maybe you would want to call him a friend. Uh, a really good friend because you didn't want to get on Herod's bad side, let me tell you that. He is known in history as Herod the Great. His family had been forcibly converted um, to, Ju to Judaism by John Hyrcanus, who had ruled from 134 to 104 B.C., and thus the family of Herod was at least technically Jewish, although not accepted by the Jews as Jewish, because Herod was an Edomite. He was from Edom. His family was from Edom. Um, Herod in his rise to power, has systematically 
um, executed, done away with the ruling Hasmonean family, which included one of his ten wives and, and her two sons. Herod was a brilliant military strategist. He was a shrewd politician. He was a prolific builder. And he was a pretty smart economist. He was really a brilliant man. He rebuilt many cities and the temple in Jerusalem. But nothing Herod could do, not even the expenditure lavished on the temple, endeared him to his Jewish subjects. His Edomite descent was never forgotten. If he was a Jew by religion and rebuilt the temple of God in in Jerusalem, that did not deter him from erecting temples to pagan gods and deities elsewhere. So, you know, Herod was, well, we'll do what we can to kind of placate the Jews, but we're going to continue to build temples to, to foreign idols and pagan gods as well. Above all, his wiping out of the Hasmonean family could not be forgiven. I don't know if you realize, but the Hasmonean family had originally been a, a, a line of priests that had been elevated to rulership. And um, when, when Herod began systematically eliminating this people, he was not incurring any favor among the Jews. Herod was 25 years old when he rose to prominence and was appointed king of the Jews in 40 B.C. Herod was a paradox of strength and weakness. Suspicious to the point of paranoia. Did I say that right? Paranoia, thank you. I knew as soon as I said it that wasn't right, but thank you. Paranoia. Herod ruthlessly dealt with anyone he perceived as a threat to his kingdom, including his own sons. Which led Caesar Augustus to remark, it was better to be one of Herod's pigs than it was to be one of his sons. He was ruthless. He was a murderer. And uh, it wasn't just members of his family. And uh, that was a reputation he had among the Jews as well and another reason why they didn't trust or have any feelings of warmth towards him. Well, it was Herod's pride and self-will that uh, generated a detestable lie and a, mur- and a murderous edict. It was his pride and self-will that generated a detestable lie and a murderous edict. Here's how our text started this morning. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born? Here's what bothered Herod. King of the Jews. We have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. And it says, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. Now, this is kind of strange. Jesus was born less than five miles from Jerusalem. The first to visit the baby were the shepherds, as we mentioned earlier. And Luke makes it clear that these shepherds spread the news of this baby far and wide. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. Given the proximity of Bethlehem to Jerusalem, and given the likelihood that these shepherds were temple employees, many scholars believe that these shepherds were raising the sacrificial sheep. 
used in the temple at Jerusalem. How appropriate that God's first announcement of the birth of his son would come to the shepherds. The announcement of, the Je- of Jesus, the Lamb of God, would come to the shepherds who raised the sacrificial lambs for the temple. So it's highly unlikely that the news of the birth of this baby had not reached Jerusalem at some point. Furthermore, the time between the events recorded in Luke chapter 2 where the shepherds come and Matthew chapter 2 where the Magi come is thought to be one to two years. The wise men were not at the manger. By the time they arrived on the scene, our text plainly says that they encountered Jesus the Christ child in a house. So apparently, Mary and Joseph had decided to take up residence in Bethlehem by this time and now live there in a home. Now, here's an important observation about what was happening here. No one in Jerusalem... Herod included, is concerned what it is, what, with what is obviously a supernatural event in Bethlehem. A story that had circulated through the streets for up to maybe two years by now. And as long as the, the message was that of a Savior being born, which is what, this, was with, which is what the shepherds were broadcasting far and wide, there's no concern. Not worried about a savior. But when the Magi arrive and give this baby the title King of the Jews, by the way, that was the title that had been given to King Herod by rulers in Rome, Octavius and Antony, alarm sets in. Herod had spent his entire life trying to preserve protect and control events and outcomes. And the Jewish people had learned that when Herod is unhappy, everyone is unhappy. That's why suddenly all Jerusalem is concerned with him. Uh Uh-oh. Herod's got a burr under his saddle. I wonder what's going to happen next. That's kind of what was going on here. As long as Jesus is being reported as Savior, no problem. Herod's not interested. And it appears that the people aren't either. They haven't even taken notice of the reports of the shepherds as far as anyone can tell. And as far as, as Herod is concerned, you can be sure that those reports had not gone unnoticed. Herod was always looking for a conspiracy But a savior, apparently, Herod could live with. A ruler, he could not. In Herod, we see the nature of unbelief. As long as this baby in Bethlehem is non-threatening, no action is taken, either to explore the reports out of curiosity or to search out the savior for salvation. However, the moment that it appears that this baby might be a ruler, Herod takes action. He reacts. 
In response to what Herod perceives as a threat to his rule, he lies to the Magi. He tells them to locate this newborn king. And when they have found him, send word to him so that he too can go and worship. And we know from the scripture that the Magi were warned not to return to Herod, and so they take a different route home. And when Herod learns that his ploy has not worked, he is enraged and determines to rid himself of this potential threat to the throne. And with the information he has gleaned from the Magi concerning what time the star had appeared, he determines to massacre all the baby boys in Bethlehem two years of age and younger. Swell guy. And so, in this story between the Magi seeking Jesus and Herod wanting to destroy him, we have this very clear and undeniable contrast. The Magi, humble, willing to undertake a long and expensive journey to worship and give gifts to a foreign king submissive to God's leadership in their lives, to follow a star, to seek the guidance of Scripture and be obedient to a dream, and recognizing God's control over the affairs of mankind, to acknowledge through their obedience that God had been orchestrating the coming of His Son through prophecy and through His control of creation, a star. On the other side, we have Herod, prideful. The only king in these parts is me. I will tolerate no rivals. Rebelling against God's leadership in his life. I don't really believe in the truth of Scripture. You guys go ahead and check it out. Otherwise, I don't want to be bothered with it. God is not going to tell me what to do. And seeking in his own way to manipulate the affairs of mankind. I will do whatever necessary to protect my position and ensure the outcomes are are what I desire. And we see the results of that. So where do we come down this Christmas? You know, I had to ask myself, are there elements of Herod in my life? Or am I like the Magi? I'm willing to do whatever it takes to seek the Savior. I've got a couple of questions this morning on your outline for reflection. What has God used or what is He now using to get my attention? We know what He used in the lives of the Magi. We know what He tried to use in the life of King Herod and and the chief priests and teachers of the law. What might he be using this Christmas season in your life to get your attention? And the second question is this. How will I choose to respond to God's call? We know what the Magi were willing to do. We know what Herod did. How will I respond to God's call? Pray with me, would you? Father, we see this very clear contrast in this Christmas story of the Magi who were willing really to go to great lengths to seek Jesus, the King of the Jews, 
the long-awaited, the long-promised one. And Father, the Scripture doesn't tell us much about their journey. It really doesn't tell us much about who they are. Except we know what they were willing to do to find Jesus. Then on the other side, we have King Herod and those with him. A man who was so manipulative, so cruel, so evil that he would do anything to protect his position. And as a result, in in the midst of all the joy and peace and gentleness of Christmas, we have this dark event that took place because Herod would go to any length to preserve the throne. We see unbelief and a lack of willingness to submit himself to your lordship and a lack of willingness for Jesus, for a Savior in his own life. And Lord God, I believe that in the busyness of our Christmas celebrations and sometimes the stress that it brings and how hectic it can can grow for us, There are things that you do in our lives, just like you did for the wise men, and for Herod too, to get our attention. And to say, slow down. Because I am the ruler of the Christmas holiday. That's why we celebrate. I want to be ruler of your life. I want you to remember why we do all this. I want it all to come back to Jesus. And Father, my prayer today is, is we would be like those wise men. We'd be willing to pay attention. We'd be willing to slow down if that's what we need to do. We would see the things that you're using to call us to yourself. Not like Herod. Not rejecting you. Not saying I don't have time. Not saying this is a threat to what I want to accomplish and to what I want to do. But Lord God, to be able to come once again. To kneel before the Savior of all mankind. God with us. Emmanuel. Thank you for the, for the truth of Scripture and the way that we can apply it to our lives. And I pray that we, we, do, we will do exactly that as your Holy Spirit gives us guidance today. And I ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.